The series Blessed focuses on the Beatitudes, the early preamble to Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, in which he shares with us eight principles that govern life in the kingdom of God. That is, life under Christ's rule. Life with Jesus sitting on the throne of your heart. What is it like? How does it work? Each of the Beatitudes invites us to make a pledge. And so we've attached a vow to each of these. We've covered six so far. Today's the seventh. First we said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I admit my failure and turn control over to God. That's where it all starts. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. I return to the cross again and again to surrender. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. I learn to rest in Him and begin to become all that I can be. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. I long in Christ for more and more of Him, and I begin to grow. I begin to grow and become more like Christ. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. I welcome God's grace, His gifts in my life, and then I look for opportunities to pass them on. Blessed are the pure in heart, see God. I set my priorities and sharpen my focus on Christ. And now today, number seven, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. The vow that we attach to this one is as follows. I accept God's offer of reconciliation and then seek the same peace with others. Peace, it's a beautiful word, isn't it? (laughs) Can you think at this moment of a time in your life where you had or found or experienced peace? Think about it for a moment. Try not to fall asleep. All right. Yeah, we have those moments. And, and curiously, some of the remote, most remarkable moments of peace have been in the midst of all kinds of crazy chaos and conflict, haven't they? <laughs> That's what makes them so remarkable. A time in which people are known to say, I, I know I ought to be worried. <laughs> I know I probably should be scared about this, but I just have this strange peace about this situation. It's a gift from God. Dictionary defines peace like this, the state of all being well, just as it should be, everything at rest. Now, that just as it should be kind of indicates to us why it is that we can actually experience peace in the midst of turmoil. We can do that because our peace is in Christ. And if Christ is ruling in our heart, chaos can be going on around us. We have peace because the peace is in here, isn't it? The peace starts here. A number of times in the Psalms, we we find David saying those kind of things. The war break out around me. Though the heavens and the earth be shaken, says David, yet will I trust in the Lord. 
and have peace. I will wait on the Lord, David will say. So if that's what peace is, what is a peacemaker? Well, a peacemaker is that person who experiences God's peace. It looks like there are two parts to the definition, because it says one who enjoys peace and then spreads it to others. But you need to know that the first is cause and the second is effect. (laughs) When you are a person that finds peace in the midst of chaos, then you will spread that peace just by nature of your presence to those who are around you. They will find peace in you as you found peace in Christ. You've been there in a situation where everything's going crazy, but there's one person who seems to be at peace. And after you conclude they're not crazy, (laughs) you're going, they're making me feel more at peace. It's the way it works. There have been peacemakers in human history, haven't there? Think of them, and you'll recognize that the one thing they all have in common, our tremendous need, human need, and chaos and conflict all around them. And in the midst of that, found personal peace. And then spread it to the world. So from where do we get such peace? And how do we become peacemakers? In fact, if we were to conclude, what is it that the world most needs today? You might come to the conclusion that the world could really use peacemakers. Those who bring a sense of peace in the midst of life's turmoil. You do know this turmoil in the world, right? You haven't watched the news lately? Yeah, all around us, isn't it? If we're going to have peace as Christians, we've got to learn to find it in the midst of life's conflict. So how does that happen? First, according to the Bible, the truth is you can't be a peacemaker until you have first found peace with God. Now that seems strange, because most of us, even before we came to Christ, don't think of us ourselves as being at war with God, do we? We might think of ourselves as being drifted far away from God or separated from God. But when I say to you, you were at war against God, that doesn't seem correct, does it? But that's how the Bible describes it. The problem is you have to go a little further back to your ancestors. Okay, Your family tree, you know. Way back on your family tree, start with Adam and Eve. Right? And God, the Father, had provided for Adam and Eve a perfect environment in which to live, right? A perfect revelation of himself in which they could experience such closeness with God that they walked with him in the garden. Life was good for Adam and Eve. But they came to the conclusion that they must be missing out on something. And they decided that since God had only given them one prohibitive directive of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat, for in that day you shall surely die. It's like the only rule. 
It must be that rule that's robbing us of the something that's out there. We have to have it. And the minute they decided that, they became God's enemies. (laughs) They were in opposition to a benevolent God's provision. You're their descendant. When you ran from God, when you hid from God, when you resisted God, when you disobeyed God, you were at war with God. Now, how many of you think that's a war you had any chance of winning? <laughs> Neither did Adam and Eve. Okay? Now, you should know, uh, you're probably thinking that, uh, no, you, know, you can't win that battle because God will just wipe you out. And of course, we have, again, all we have to do is go back to Adam and Eve and say, no, God will reach in grace and reach in love until you surrender and come home, right? He did it for them, provided for them clothes to wear, provided for them a life to live. He'll do the same for you. But maybe you haven't found that peace yet. (laughs) I mean, living in conflict with God is a difficult thing. It's the way Paul describes it in his epistle to the Romans. In Romans chapter 4, he says, Our sin has separated us from God and put us at odds with Him. So what could be done for us? Well, the only thing that could be done is that we needed a bridge built between us and God. The gap was inseparable. I mean, we couldn't bridge that gap. Someone greater than us would have to provide a bridge. And so, the promise of that bridge was promised throughout the Old Testament prophets, wasn't it? And when Jesus arrived, He was that bridge. When He says to the disciples in the upper room, I am the way and the truth and the life. He's saying, I'm the bridge. You want to get to the Father, you're going to have to get there through me. That's why I came. And so Paul, after explaining our terrible, awful condition in Romans 4, says this as he opens Romans chapter 5. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith. To justified means to be made right. To be made acceptable to God. That's only happened in one way, and that was through the sacrifice of Christ. Since we have been justified through faith, cause, the effect, we have peace with God. Not not by anything you've done. Not because you tried better, turned over a new leaf, or straightened out your act. But because Christ, through Our Lord Jesus Christ, because Christ died in your place and for your sin so that you could be at peace with God. Isn't that awesome? Second, this kind of peace only Jesus can provide. He came to bring this kind of peace. Think about it. There are different kinds of peace, aren't there? When uh, I go to Mexico, 
um, I have very little time to just kick back and put my feet up. But when I travel from one ministry location to another, I always take the route that takes me right along the beach because that's very restful to my spirit. And as I walk along the beach, you know what I see out on the beach? All kinds of people experiencing tremendous peace. Okay? Because the, the gentle ocean waves lapping on the sand, they bring peace. The sun shining brightly down on your body, warming you, that brings peace. Somebody brought you something to drink. Oh, you want something to eat? Here, oh, you don't like the way it is? We'll take it back and fix it and change it different, right? And you just sit there. Nobody's saying like, okay, it's time to get something done. No, nothing to got, get done. And these people are at peace. They are awesome, awesome peace. You know what the problem with that kind of peace is? At the end of the week, they make you go home. <laughs> okay, and if you, won't, if you don't make your flight, they pick you up by the seat of your pants and throw you on the plane. Time to go home. And guess what? Somewhere between the beaches of Mexico and your home, the stress starts to build up again and the problems and the chaos and that kind of peace is awesome. I highly recommend it if, for a vacation. I don't think there's a nicer place to go. But the thing is, you can't spend your life on vacation. A kind of peace is a once occasionally in your life kind of experience. Can't last. Won't sustain you. Can easily be interrupted. You should see how grouchy the people come, become down there who are vacationing when once in not very often, but just once, there's a cloudy day. Maybe even just part of the day. <laughs> They're just like very testy in Puerto Vallarta for that very reason. We came down for peace. We can't get peace if the sun's not shining. We can't get peace if they're threatening a hurricane out at. We can't get peace today. The stores aren't open today. Because it's a holiday, we can't, we can't have peace. But that's not the kind of peace God offers us, is it? Jesus said to his disciples in the upper room, and it should be noted that he said this right after he had just told them, reminded them once again, that he was about to die. That he was about to leave them and leave them behind, they thought, by themselves. He explained, I'm leaving my Holy Spirit to keep you company, to comfort you. But they, they didn't know the Holy Spirit, so they wanted none of that. They wanted Jesus. No Jesus, no peace. And Jesus says, here's my parting gift. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Well, what kind of peace was that? That was the kind of peace that Jesus had had throughout all eternity in his intimate fellowship with the Father, right? No conflict between the Father and Jesus and the Holy Spirit. They were one. He said that on more than one occasion. You've seen the Father? See me? Seen the Father? I and the Father are one? He said these things. That's the kind of peace. And how profound, how far-reaching was that peace? It was peace he experienced even on the cross. My peace I leave with you, he said. I do not give to you as the world gives. 
I'm not offering you a free all-expense-paid vacation. So do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. Now that's interesting, isn't it? Because after he says, he gives us the peace, then he says, you have a responsibility in this. So don't let your hearts be troubled. The word troubled here means disturbed, stirred up. Ever do that? You know, Jesus is in control. If I said that to you, you'd say, of course, I know that. But you're just still all over the board, aren't you? Okay? He says, don't let that happen. Hold on to my peace. I give it to you. You couldn't earn it for yourself. There's no vacation spot that can provide it. This is yours. It's my gift to you. But now take it out and use it. Take it out. And experience it. Take it out and enjoy it. Third, those who experience peace with God as his children then seek peace. That's part of the beatitude, isn't it? It's the promise part. Blessed, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Now, you don't think this, but you know I ask questions of the text. <laughs> for, for those of you who go like, ah, sometimes he explains things in a way that I can understand that I've never understood before. That's just because I've learned to ask questions of every biblical text. You can do it at home. Don't ever just read something and go, huh. Read it and go like, well, wait a minute, but what's he mean? And in what situation and how? Okay. And I ask the question, of this text, who shall call me the child of God? If I'm a peacemaker, who is it that's going to call me a child of God? Well, the answer, I think, is not just one answer. The answer is really at least three answers. First of all, God calls you his child. When you become a purveyor of peace, a person who brings peace into situations of conflict, when you become that kind of person, God says, do you ever say this about your children? That's my boy. That's my girl. He says, it's not like we weren't his child before he said that, but it's like he's proud to acknowledge you belong to me. I'm proud of you when you are a peace bearer. When to every situation, no matter how much conflict is involved, you are the one who brings peace, God says, that's my child. But I don't think it's just that. I think it's saying, I call myself God's child. Why do I bear the responsibility of bringing peace to every situation of conflict today that I find myself in? Why is that my job? Because I'm God's child. My father does that. My father would pay any price to see that happen. And if I'm going to behave in a manner that relates me to God as his child, then I need to become that kind of person. I think there's more. Thirdly, I think, other people call you God's child. In other words, they go like, What's with them? Either they're crazy 
or they don't understand how serious the matter is, or they're getting peace from someplace else beyond this world, they must be a child of God. It's a great witnessing point, isn't it? If you want somebody to listen to your witness, maybe open the door with the peace you demonstrate in the midst of conflict, in the midst of chaos. Those who experience peace with God as His children then have a responsibility to seek peace. Peter writes it this way in 1 Peter. For whoever would love life and see good days. By the way, would any of you like that? To love, have a life you could love and have good days. Okay. See, now you've heard me say before, so I'll say it one more time because I hear people like sort of mock me in it. I never have a bad day. I refuse to have a bad day. How, if you believe God is good and you believe God lives in you, how can you have a bad day? He's good. He's in me. Every day is good. Now, challenging days, difficult days, uncomfortable days, not bad days. So he says, whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil. In other words, don't render, uh, make your tongue an instrument of causing division and strife and chaos. In other words, don't become part of the problem. And keep their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. Pursue it involves energy and activity, doesn't it? You can say you want something. I mean, I'm pretty sure we looked at some historical famous peacemakers, and I'm pretty sure that Martin Luther King Jr. wasn't the only African American in the 1960s who was fed up <laughs> with discrimination, do you think? No, he was just the one who did something about it, right? And by the way, when he started doing something about it, it was amazing how he lit a fire that just spread in all kinds of people. Now they're interested in getting involved. What would have happened if one man wouldn't have stood up? Seek peace and pursue it. Work for it. Strive for it. I read a little while ago the autobiography of a man who spent most all of his life in prison in search of the defeat of apartheid in South Africa, Nelson Mandela. I know that I'm a person who would be willing to work for peace, and I think I do it sometimes. That's more work than I can even conceive in my brain. Jesus laid down his life that we might be at peace with God. Seek peace and pursue it. Fourth, pursuing peace with others means modeling Christ and proclaiming the gospel. In our sin nature, there's not a single peacemaker among us. Oh, don't confuse this with the peace at any price, people. 
Because <laughs> if you remember those famous peacemakers from history, none of them were those kind of people, were they? No, that's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about being a wimp or a pushover. We're talking about being a person who brings peace to situations of turmoil. There's only one who has ever done that, and that is Christ. And only followers of His, really, can model it, can demonstrate it, can say, as Christ brought peace to my life, I want to bring peace to the lives of others. We read it earlier in our scripture reading. It says, He, speaking of Christ, is our peace. Not, He brought us peace. He is our peace. He made the two groups, Gentiles who were separated from God and Jews who were separated from God, one. They all had one problem. They were all sinners. They all had one solution. And has destroyed the barrier the, the, the dividing wall of hostility. We are so easily wall builders, aren't we? You know, every time you get in a conflict with somebody, your brain in the flesh immediately goes to, how can I build a wall between me and them, right? How can I avoid them? How can I not talk to them again? How can I not? That's why the text message was invented. Because I said, how can I tell them what I really feel without looking them in the eye and facing them face to face? Some people must hurt their finger sending some of those ugly text messages, right? Because we are wall builders as sinners. Christ was a bridge builder, wasn't He? The cross is just a gigantic bridge the bridge is the gap between God and man. That's the work he did. He tore down the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the laws with its commands and regulations. In other words, he died for our disobedience. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body, there's the word, to reconcile, to make right, to set right. Both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. If you have hostility with any other person or group, know this. Christ died for that hostility. Okay, let it go. Let it go. Fifth. Making peace with others is really hard work <laughs> and involves sacrifice. Mostly it's hard work because it's so unnatural and uncomfortable for us as sinners. It is always costly. Chances are, if it didn't cost you anything, there's no real peace. Paul writes in Romans 12, if it is possible, if there is any way, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. 
Think about in the mind of God, if it is possible, our separation from Him would have engendered in us a response of, well, forget them. But that was not His response, was it? If it is possible, I must redeem those who are separated from me. As far as it depends upon you, did God wait for us to repent? Wait for us to turn over a new leaf? Wait for us to say, please let me come back? No. He said, it depends upon me. If there's going to be peace, it depends on me. He sent His Son to die. Do we think that way? When there is conflict, do we think? As far as it depends upon me, let me live at peace with everyone. Again, not referring to being a wimp or a pushover. Far from that. It's saying, what do I have to do to bridge the gap between me and this person? Between me and this group of people? How will reconciliation come? And so Jesus says, Blessed are the peacemakers. They will be called the children of God. And we vow. I accept God's offer of reconciliation. Have you? Have you put your trust in what Christ did on the cross to bring you back into fellowship and right relationship with God? Don't leave without doing that if you haven't. It's as simple as saying, Father, I acknowledge that I'm a sinner. But I put my trust now in what your son did on the cross to save me from my sin and bring me back into right relationship with God. In fact, I claim it now according to your promise. It's as simple as that. I love this quote from uh, the Chronicles of Narnia, the story uh, of C.S. Lewis. And uh, in, in the story, Aslan, the lion, prefigures Christ. And here's what Aslan says. He says, I will not tell you how long or short the way will be, only that a river lies, river across, it lies across a river. But do not fear that, for I am the great bridge builder. <laughs> That's God's word to us. Jesus said it this way, My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, give I unto you. Let not your hearts be troubled. God provided a, a bridge of fellowship with the Father. He made us all bridge builders, didn't he? Let's pray. Father, we rejoice in the peace that we have in your Son. And we rejoice today in what we have because we are at peace with God. But we also face, straight on, the great responsibility that is ours to be peacemakers, instruments in your hand, to do what you've done for us in your Son, bring peace to our world. 
As we close this service, we stop by giving thanks, first of all, for the peace that is ours in your Son and ask for help by your Spirit in becoming the peacemakers you've called us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together.